Okay, it's recording. Don't bark now. Oh, she's looking at you. I'll try not to. (laughs) (laughs) Jess, how did you get involved in volunteering? Um, you know, I got started when I was pretty young. Um, my mother was involved in nonprofits, so my early experiences were kind of being voluntold as a child. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's always kind of been part of my life. Um, and then a little later on, got involved with different things in high school um, and college. And then I'm totally dating myself, but I was in the pilot program when Clinton rolled out AmeriCorps. She didn't win. <laughs> I know. I'm still sad about it. Way to go, right? You know, there's a huge generation of people who don't know that her husband was the president. There's this a lot of true. people who are like, oh, Hillary Clinton? What does her husband do? <laughs> wow. Let's not get into so that. Yeah, that's a whole nother. My mind is now blown. Um, but yeah, I did AmeriCorps one summer as a young whippersnapper and then um, after finishing um, my MSW, I joined the Peace Corps. And it's, yeah, I've just continued to do it ever since. What does the Peace Corps do? The Peace Corps does all kinds of things. Um, it's primarily an international arm of the United States, um, not affiliated with anybody really except for Peace Corps. Um, And they send volunteers to different countries to help with different development projects. Um, And there's a couple of different sectors in which volunteers work. Some of it's environmental, some of it's social development, some of it's business, some of it's public health. and most of my time was spent working on um, HIV education and prevention. Mm. Is it weird to see that that's cool? Is that weird? Oh, thanks. Yeah. So we have uh, Jess with us. She is a high education department instructor. And besides all of that, you want to share anything else pertinent about you that people could walk up to you on the street and talk to you about? <laughs> um, I don't want people to come up and talk to me on the street because I'm an introvert. So... <laughs> Please don't approach me. Thanks. Got it. <laughs> in the podcast, we have just with us, and we talked to Mr. Voulet, as he would describe himself as a dude from the blog Nonprofit AF. Uh, very influential writer, oh, a champion to nonprofit, an advocate for nonprofit and nonprofit funding and equity. Um, we're recording this after we talked to him, and it's fresh in our mind. Like, Jess, did you have a good time? Was that fun? It was amazing. Yeah. What was one thing, now that you met him, what is the one thing that you were surprised by? I don't know if I would say surprised by, but I really appreciated his, and I know you were giving him some trouble about this, but his enduring optimism, because I think that's so needed for us, especially right now. It is true. I always classify myself as the glass is half empty, but I think the honest answer is I know what the glass looks like full. And I know it's a struggle to get there. And I want to make sure that we're grounded in reality and take positive, concrete steps towards change without people saying that we're going to raise a million dollars by recycling. That's just not going to happen. (laughs) 
you know, five cents at a time is not something that's, that's realistic. But no, Vu has always challenged me as long as I've known him. He's always poked fun at me, which I respect a lot. But yeah, I, it was a great talking with him. It was good fun. We always have fun when we talk. I'm really trying to make it sound like we are super good friends. We hang out all the time, <laughs> trying to raise my stock. That's funny. I just got a text from him. That is not funny. Stop that. Stop being friends without me. When he comes back to Hawaii, I'm going to go out secretly and text you later. <laughs> if you guys haven't seen each other the night before already. But no, we had a wonderful talk about nonprofit and the current state of everything. Uh, for, for those of you who don't know, Vu is based in Seattle. So he's in the center of a lot of different things going on. We talked to him about that. Um, and yeah, we had a really nice talk. We had some technical difficulties in the beginning and he certainly let me know about it. <laughs> but in the end, I think we, uh, and then I think we, we talked about enough stuff to just wholeheartedly miss each other. I miss talking to him a lot. I, I know that we're separated by oceans and he can't visit us. We can't visit him, but I know we're going to get together one day. I mean, can we just set up a chat with him like once a month or something? It's it would be like our it would be like nonprofit church. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm ready for nonprofit church. You should set up a Patreon or a, a, a Twitch account and be like Vu nonprofit church with Vule. I bet you people would sign on and give him money. Oh my gosh, so many people would. Yes, I would tithe uh, to that. Not oh just from gosh. here. I mean, from everywhere. Oh yeah, from oh, everywhere. Yeah, from, yeah from We'll have to tell him about this idea. Yes, we're brilliant. I'll tell him first. <laughs> <laughs> Not a competition. Well, Except I mean, from, a, from the person who spoke the least on the podcast, uh, it was a really uh, nice conversation to listen to. Um, lots and lots of amazing uh, mic drop knowledge type things in there. <laughs> And yeah, it gosh, it it was just so good. This is a this is definitely one of those uh, uh, lots of takeaways and lots of quotable things to put up as a as a little Instagram thing. You can put it up on Instagram. Be like, preach. This is what I'm talking about. Right. Sometimes things happen in our lives, and you really don't know why or how they happen. Hi ho, just happens to be on Vu's radar. And he just happens to consider us friends, and we're just fortunate for that. So we're very happy that we could record it to a podcast and let all of you into our conversation. Um, if you love Nonprofit Geek Talk, this is the one for you. Oh, yeah. So as always, this is Ryan. <laughs> this is Shar. This is Jess. And this is Morning, Morning Assembly. Assembly. And our guest today, Vu Le. The Ohio Education Department presents Morning Assembly. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. It's on now. Now it's on. So nice to see you, Vu. My goodness. Yay. Thank you for using Zoom like normal human beings. Yeah. <laughs> you know. 
And I put on my um, touch up my appearance filter, so it reduced all the acne, the stress acne I've been getting, and the wrinkles. Luckily, the wrinkles distract from the acne. I tried that, and I didn't see a discernible difference. So it's either it, it either means I'm immaculate already, or it means that I'm just there's no helping me. Yeah, yeah. So. You're glowing, Ryan. Are we always? Yeah, it's just the three of us here, right? I can't tell with the. Oh, actually, yeah. so there's only three cameras on, but Shar is here with me. If we remember Shar, my wife. Hi, Hi Shar. Hi. Okay. I don't. I don't have the pleasure of having a camera on me. The camera's on me, the star. <laughs> Why is Shar not on video? What, what's what's with this? Because we have one video camera, uh-huh. and we have one microphone. Yeah. The microphone is between the two of us, so we're both facing the the microphone. But I mean, I could try here just just for kicks it's here. Really weird. There's our dog. There's a microphone. It's a dog. And there. There's Char. There, there. We can do this. <laughs> it would be just the microphone. Hi, Char. Hi. Yeah. <laughs> it just looks like you're providing the laugh track for this entire podcast. I am. Yes. I'm professional. He I'm is. the professional laugh track. Char is my gauge to see if I look at her and she shakes her head. I'm like, okay, move off, move off topic. <laughs> I respect you so much. You can bust my chops because people don't think I have a sense of humor. Obviously, I'm very silly, but they never try to go at me, which is kind of oh, ironic. I've seen you MC a wedding. You definitely don't have a sense of humor. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so this has been Vule, everyone. So see you next time. Uh, Vu, I know when we first started texting about talking, as opportunistic as I may be, I decided to turn this into something that we could post on our site that maybe could be helpful for others. So I thought that we could have a nice discussion. And um, I wanted to bring Jess in because she is one of our instructors for our Ohio Education Department program, where we uh, consult nonprofits and talk about volunteer structure. And we educate uh, volunteer managers and also other executive directors on how to run, you know, good, nice, sustainable volunteer programs, but also how to troubleshoot their current programs. So I thought she'd be a good fit. Plus, she's so smart. She's a, she's the resident adult in my life, so I thought she'd be a good addition. Yeah, you definitely need that, buddy. It's a lot of pressure. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes, tell me about tell me about you. Uh, what is there to know about me? I got involved with Hi Ho in the early days relatively the first time i met ryan and char i don't even know if you guys remember this story but you guys were at uh manoa for like a volunteer fair and i was super excited and i think i was probably really intense and you didn't really know what to do with me um <laughs> like what are we doing what's the plan and they were like who is this crazy lady that was our general um, disposition back then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then hooked up a couple of years later. But my background is social work. Um, I've been doing volunteer work for a really long time. I did AmeriCorps and Peace Corps and all that jazz. Um, and now I teach at a university here in the social work department. Oh, cool. You got a master's in social work? I do. That's what I got. Yay. Yay. I didn't guess I didn't hey, wait, know wait, that wait. No, you. no. Stop talking. Stop talking. This is about me. <laughs> What are you guys doing connecting like that? Okay, bye, Ryan. (laughs) 
So yeah, we're gonna lean, and we might ask you some volunteer stuff because you know we're supposed to put this podcast out for volunteer managers, mm-hmm. but it's turning into a different thing where people just kind of talk about their area expertise. And I think it's actually becoming a lot more educational than I thought we wanted it to be. Up front, we thought it would be like, this is the three ways, three positive ways you could affect your volunteer program. And our last uh, talk with Lisa, we talked about COVID-19 and the development of the nonprofit sector and in Hawaii, how it's kind of shifted the, the topics of philanthropy and collaboration. So that was a really, a really interesting conversation. I don't know if it's off-brand, but it's definitely off-brand for me. I'm trying not to use profanity during these podcasts, which is exceedingly difficult for me. Okay, no profanities. Okay, that's okay. Yeah, I mean, I if know, you re- it's hard if- for me too. I don't know how I'm going to do <laughs> it. This is a full shirt. <laughs> fudge, fudge all of you. Yeah. <laughs> that's allowable. So yeah, so you have a, a white wall behind you to hide the mess of your children. That's fine. It's a little rough. Look, I got a snake plant and some stuff. I don't really know what's going on. A treadmill, one of the kids fell on and just got treadmill burns. It was not pretty at all. Are you trying to run them to the ground to have them go to sleep? <laughs> a mile is, before I was like, do not touch the treadmill. And then I, I, I came in and, you know, they were on the treadmill. And then they were going at a slow speed. I was like, okay, don't touch these other buttons that increase the speed, right? They're like, yeah, sure. The next thing I knew, I came in, they were, were crying. And, and then I, I, the four-year-old had fallen. He got flown, flung off the treadmill onto the wall behind. He's fine, just shaking and a little treadmill burned. But small children, that's, that's, what, that's what... Why are you winking so dramatically when you said your child's fine? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not winking. I got this twitch in my eye from everything that's been going on. These last... <laughs> Is that your COVID-19 stress twitch? Yes. Yeah. I always joke about, you know, nonprofit people having a twitch in the left eye because of all the stress that we deal with, having to duct tape our chairs together so that the family of possums that are living in the cushions don't escape or whatever, you know? <laughs> and then and I realized, oh God, this morning I was like checking out my stress acne in the mirror and I just thought that my eye, my one of my eyes was just starting to un- involuntarily twitching. So there you have it. Yeah, I know we all know you from your infamous blog, Nonprofit AF. And for the people listening who don't know what AF means, do you care to clarify about that? Yes, Ryan. It stands for and fearless. Not ah, yes. And fearless. <laughs> not, not my first thought. Um, you told me not to swear, Ryan. So. Yeah. <laughs> and you can't forget the original name, Nonprofit with Balls. It refers, thank you, Jess. That refers to all the balls that we have to juggle all, all right. the time. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So good with the metaphors. Balls just makes me think of so many more things. Um, <laughs> That's another show. You go and think about balls on your own time, Ryan. <laughs> to get to here. Well, yeah, I mean, I really did. I did really wanted to have a nice, fun talk with you. But considering the kind of impact you have on on nonprofit, for me, you know, your points of view, especially your areas of expertise with uh, equity and equality, I really thought it would be nice to have a conversation with you. And also for us to kind of talk about some of the things here and kind of talk story. 
Vu, you're you're in Seattle, correct? I am in Seattle, yeah. So you have like the double whammy of all things. You have the Chaz protests happening right now. Mm-hmm. And you were ground zero for COVID-19 in the United States before, before New York took it away from you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we had the distinct honor of where COVID first landed. So <laughs> uh, yeah, and then everything that's going on with the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone. Um, or I think they're trying to change it to Capitol Hill Occupy Protest. I saw just that. To, yeah. Mm-hmm. So we're trying to change it. It's been, Wait, really great. The... it's been very peaceful in there. What have you all been hearing about this? What's the uh, perception over there in Hawaii? I think it probably depends who you talk to. Um, my friend group is pretty excited. About yeah. It. But I have lots of friends who have been visiting and volunteering there. It seems to be really cool. People are very are peaceful. There's lots of artists and everyone is there's a dream there's a dream board to talk about what sort of society we want to live in it's been very peaceful so i think there's some good things that are going to come from from this yeah and that's a first-hand account because you've actually been there i mean if you ask about it in hawaii we have to get all of our news from news sources and with news sources being what they are you know it sounds like either a very good thing or a very bad thing. Yeah, well, depending on the types of news, it's been news have have been weaponized now to be very biased. Oftentimes, like Fox News, for example, put on an image of like uh, people setting things on fire. That wasn't even from Seattle. That was, I think, from the uh, early during the protests in Minneapolis. That has nothing to do with Seattle, but they use that to kind of generate this sort of image of this lawlessness and, and anarchy when that gets the complete opposite of that. Yeah, so, you know, being in Hawaii and being so detached from the continent, we really have to pick and choose our news sources. The other week, I think you would have really liked it. We had a Black Lives Matter march from uh, Ala Moana Beach Park to the Capitol, about 2.5 miles of marching. You know, rough, uh, it's hard to estimate, but they're saying five to ten thousand people, uh, five thousand people, give or take. But it was we, we marched in it. It was fantastic, very peaceful. Um, but even something like that, if someone reports on it in another country or another state, could have just easily as said Hawaii's protest was riddled with violence. And that's unfortunately how people have been painting a lot of this. And then as they become more and more peaceful, a lot of news media don't want to cover it because it's not interesting. Mm-hmm. They want to cover the violence. They so they they would rather cover the, you know, like the one percent who might be acting out and or whatever than mm-hmm. they than the the ninety nine percent who are peacefully demonstrating right now. Not that I'm against yeah, even- lawlessness either. I feel like the statues, the racist <laughs> statues that are coming down. I'm like, yeah, down with that. Mm-hmm. Even before the the protest on Saturday, there were lots of rumors circulating that people were flying in agitators and all of that. And just, I think to throw people off um, Mm -hmm. and discourage people from participating. And I think a lot of people here had seen some of the violence that had happened and people were really scared to participate in some way. That's a way to control people's ability to civically engage. This is Mm -hmm. one of the most fundamental of, rights in, in this country is being able to, to demonstrate and to, to protest. 
And if you can avoid that, if you can get people to be scared enough to stay home, then it lessens the, the impact of, of the protests in some ways. So, of course, a lot of people who are opposed to many of these things, who want status quo, they're going to try all sorts of strategies that unfortunately have been very effective in trying to prevent the protests or the image of, of the protests. But the Capitol Hill Occupy protest, it's good. All I right. I feel like it's really good. People are peaceful there and they're having soy latte and talking about justice and <laughs> calling so out Seattle. white supremacy. It's good. Yeah. White supremacy over coffee, any coffee, right? <laughs> There's lots of coffee there. <laughs> and ramen. That's really important. Hey, ramen representation at a protest. That's, I'm good with that. Yeah, it's great. Come on by. It's really nice. I would, but then when I come back to Hawaii, I would have to go into a mandatory 14-day quarantine, which is what Hawaii <laughs> instituted for all flights from, the, from anywhere. And, and yeah, people don't like, like it. <laughs> seems like islands are doing pretty well, though. Look at New, look at New Zealand. They've been COVID-free for a long time. They just got like two new cases and they're just quickly quarantining those. So, mm, yeah. I would, but I would never mention Hawaii and COVID response in the same sentence as New Zealand. <laughs> no, because you're still part of the United States. Well, under the same president. Don't yeah. tell anyone that. When we go traveling, we always say we're from Hawaii and we try to distinguish it away from the United States and people buy into it. You're American? Yeah. No, we're from Hawaii. <laughs> oh, okay. It's um, a totally different response. Yes. Yeah. Yes, totally different. So I guess it's fair to say, Vu, that you're fairly liberal. <laughs> How can you tell, Ryan? <laughs> I mean, just because I chant defund the police doesn't mean that I'm a liberal. And just because I want to tax all rich people and think that billionaires are unethical does not mean that I'm liberal. No, you even saying the role like you're weaponizing that word like it's a like it's a racial slur. I think you might be a deep state undercover. I'm very, very, very deep state. So like that dude in the departed, you know, at the end, you're like, oh my god, the dude who is just evil turns out to be a good guy all along. <laughs> Spoiler alert. You classically in, in all your talks ruin movies for everyone. You keep referencing pop culture media. <laughs> I departed. It was a good movie. I don't have to watch it now, so that's good. <laughs> what's up? What? How? Jess, how are you doing? <laughs> I'm well, thank you. Yeah, I like I'm the so excited. Backdrop. You thank have. you. Sorry. It's um, I I stole it slash borrowed it from NPR Tiny Desk concerts. Apparently, that is what smart people are doing now, is they're in front of bookshelves instead of like blank white walls. Yeah. So it's I great. Mean, it makes you look super smart. Thank you. I mean, it's optics are everything, right? So <laughs> we're going for the hipster look in our bedroom because we have art on our wall. So I want to feature that. Aw, that's great. And a dog. <laughs> and, a, and a big dog on our bed, which is the standard Zoom background. Just a giant dog just takes our bed while we're on our desk. And yeah, she loves it. Whenever we talk about nonprofit, our dog leaves the room because she thinks we're fighting. Because we're so impassionate about certain things, right? We're debating about, oh, you know, what about this? And what about this? And we're planning like the next event. And the dog looks at us like, I'm out of here. You guys are fighting. <laughs> <laughs> 
there's a lot to fight for right now. I feel like this is the time for nonprofits to just to be assertive and aggressive and challenge a lot of like ridiculous things that we have been putting up with. Agreed. 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 Yeah. But it, I mean, nonprofits can take this chance to capitalize on change if they survive. I mean, straight up the way things are going, nonprofits with revenue bases that involve people and, and involve economies being open, you know, what are those going to look like? It's like the big boss companies are going to survive. So do the small nonprofits who do deep community work, are they going to make it to, you know, the next month or the summer? Yeah, I think it's really ironic. We've been telling nonprofits, you need to create earn income, you need to sell stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and then look what happens. And now the ones that have the most earned revenues are the ones who are most affected. Mm-hmm. And the organizations that have been relying on grants are doing better. So our entire system just really needs to be reimagined. Right, because what is the classic example of a, a nonprofit grant? Like, what is your other sources of income, right? Yeah, I mean, there are lots of challenges, challenges with grants as well. They are restricted. I have been pushing foundations to give out way more money than they have been. They've been giving out 5% and then hoarding 95%. And now, and they're saving for a rainy day. And I think if we can't convince them that this is a rainy day, then what is a rainy day? Why, why would you hoard that much money for a rainy day when it's pouring on communities right now? So I feel like we have been just way too nice as a sector. Nonprofits in particular, we just put up with stuff where the mm-hmm. foundations are like, you know, here's $19, go and end homelessness. And we've been like, okay. <laughs> and they're like, but you only spent $1 on your staff. And we're like, all right, fine, we'll do that. We'll end homelessness on $19 and spend $18 on paper clips because that's what you like or whatever. It's ridiculous. We don't have time for this anymore. But that goes with the inherent fear of nonprofits and yep. the power that funders have, right? Yeah, the power dynamics are absolutely ridiculous. But if we can challenge the police system, if people can actually demonstrate and, and Minneapolis can defund their police system and imagine something new, then I think that should inspire all of us to think about how do we challenge the power systems that are out there. <laughs> There's a lot of power dynamics uh, imbalance between nonprofits and, and philanthropy. And we just put up with it. But we have a lot of power. We're the ones doing the work. So we got to get yeah, mobilized. That, that's so important. There's a, a nonprofit here that um, I do some work with and they've been super resilient during COVID and they've been able to pivot and do some of that stuff. And they've been approached by the state or the city and county and they do homeless services and they basically said, we can't provide the services with that money. So you can either come back to us with more money or we're not going to take the contract because we can't do what we need to do. Mm-hmm. And I think we need to see a whole lot more of that. We absolutely do. Uh, Seattle, I mean, not Seattle, Memphis. In Memphis, the 100 nonprofits sign a letter, you know, saying that they're just making more demands and letting people know about what, what the challenges are for nonprofits and asking for more funding and, and things like that. So we need to do the same thing. I would love to see the nonprofits in, in Hawaii getting together and saying, hey, these are the challenges for us. And these are things that will make us more effective at delivering services during a time when our community uh, communities need the most help. So put that out there. But instead, what we do is we just go back to our office 
and we keep trying to do what we can. And I think that we really need to start mobilizing with one another more. I think one of the good things that came out of, you know, we look at the, try to look at silver lining in some, there is a, a small movement here where uh, funders are collaborating and, and listening to the needs. And some of them are even looking past applications and they're just talking story with people and trying to find where can their money be most effective. And that's really the bright, the best thing I've seen so far in Hawaii where someone can say, Hey, we're doing this. We need this much. And someone said, yeah, I can do it. Or, Hey, do you want to split it? And let's do it. Yes. That's exactly what we need right now. I wrote mm-hmm. a blog post, I think a year ago about how we just need to end grant proposals altogether. Mm-hmm. Like, why do we have them? I mean, do we go to poor people, you know, if we're a whole, if we're a food pantry and we go to poor families and we say, Hey, we know that you're very hungry, but we have less food than there are of you. So can you all write an essay about how hungry you are? And we'll, we'll, put, you know, we'll, we'll grade you and then we'll, we'll give food to the families that wrote the best essay about how hungry they are. But that is a ridiculous system. Why would we do that to people? Don't forget they need to put it in the envelope and drop it off at this location that there's no parking. In triplicate. Yeah, yeah, three copies. They need 12 copy, <laughs> copies of it. And then and they need a budget telling them what they're gonna, how they're going to distribute the food to which family members and all that stuff. It's and, a ridiculous system. Yeah, and although we're giving you food, you eventually got to find your own food without us. Right. <laughs> Even though you're hungry. Right, exactly, yeah. There's no doubt. Everything you, read, you say in your blog, Jess and I wholeheartedly agree with. Thank you, Jess. What about the ones where I'm just like, infinity <laughs> scarves are ridiculous and no one should wear them ever? You know, that um, one was a tough one for me personally, <laughs> but the rest of the time I feel like you're in my head. So I can let the infinity scarves thing slide. Thank you, you know, I wish I was hip enough to know what the infinity scarf is. Right. It is a scarf that's just like, like the ends are connected. So it's just one circle. So it's like an infinity. Oh. And you just wrap it around your head. Oh. It's a, and they look ridiculous. It's a circle. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm a weather wimp. I wear them on planes all the time because I'm freezing. Well, not, I mean, I don't fly anymore now, but um, I'm not trying to defend my use because they are ridiculous, <laughs> but I have found them helpful at different points in times. Yeah. I think for practicality's sake, just being able to put it on your head without dropping it might be the appeal to it. This is purely coming from someone who's never heard of this before. So I'm trying to take the devil's advocate. We don't need any more devil's advocates. Right. Thank you. <laughs> Ryan. Okay. I feel like devil's you and advocates. I are getting an alliance here yeah. against Ryan. I'm yeah, I think a little. The program, Ryan. Uh, I better not find you guys texting each other on the down low without me. <laughs> Since I made this introduction, I'll be, I don't need that on my... a picture of you, turn you into a Bitmoji, and then I will text Jessica. <laughs> pacing you know. your Bitmoji to, to Jessica. I'm so excited. Ultimate I'm, burn. You know, I'm, I'm already pretty fragile from all of this nonprofit crisis work we're doing in Hawaii. You're resilient, though. I don't know. I don't know. I... I I look at, I try to gauge myself against what's going on with the, the nation. And I think we have it easy in Hawaii. We're a little disconnected. We're, we're not physically next to any, any other state. No one can drive over and, and agitate. You know, we have, we have some agitators here, but I mean, 
for the most part, Jess, don't you think there's a general sense of disconnect from the continent? Yeah, I think there is. Um, but I, at the same time, I think we say that a lot in terms of whether it's a disconnect or that things are different here. Mm-hmm. And I think we use that kind of a little bit as a cop-out sometimes. Yeah. Um, right. I mean, I, I, that conversation has been happening a lot with the black lives matter stuff like, Oh, well it's mm-hmm. different in Hawaii. I'm like, no, I'm pretty sure we're racist here too. Um, so I think that ends up being an interesting thing. Yeah. I mean, um, during the march, I had a nice conversation with Shar, and I really was having a small little individual crisis about, are we right to be here? And, you know, the risk of COVID-19 and wearing masks. And eventually I kind of talked to her and she didn't say a word. And I eventually convinced myself that we, we were good to be there about if, you know, if people don't stand up for us and we don't stand up for others, then, then no one's standing up for anyone. So at some point, no matter where we are, we have to take a stance and physically and emotionally show people what we believe in. Otherwise, it doesn't really matter. I think because we're in the middle of a pandemic makes the Black Lives Matter protests even more significant because you have to be courageous to be out mm-hmm. there on the street knowing that you could possibly die. And I, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just really grateful to everyone who's been out there because I feel like I have not been as much because I have small children and the logistics of being out there has been more challenging than when I was younger. Mm. Um, and I, I do feel like maybe we all need to kind of talk about what is our role in the in this revolution, right? And it shifts as we go along. And some of us can't be out on the street as often, but we can help in other ways. Me, for example, by harassing foundations to give more money <laughs> and to stop doing crappy things <laughs> and to yell at our sector to wake up and, and realize its power and potential because I feel like we haven't been doing that. Mm-hmm. We have way more power than we, we realize and we have not been using it. You know, if I had to choose with you, Vu, outside of my corporation protesting me or you writing a blog about me, I'd rather choose you outside my building because your blog it's not aggressive. It's not attacking people, but your words and your message. It's so, first of all, it's so readable. It's funny. But that's the only blog I see. That's the most that's reposted across my Facebook page is yours. And your words carry so much more significance, I think, to so many of us. And we connect with it so much that you've become, I wouldn't say, under, I'll say it, you're like an underground superstar, in my oh. opinion. Yeah, the nonprofit world. Yeah, you're a rock star. (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate that. I don't get the same reception in Seattle. People are like, "Oh, it's it's Vu." I saw him at Costco. (laughs) 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 Was buying fifty-eight rolls of toilet paper again. (laughs) Well, you're not supposed to hoard toilet paper. Hey, family of four. Family of four. I got small children. Those <laughs> do not know how to use toilet paper. Are you feeding it to them? Like, what's going on? They're making toilet we use paper. arts and crafts, you know. Putting milk over it, trying to feed it to them. Yeah. Well, I just used, I, I, I meant toilet paper, but what I really meant was vodka. But, you know, we're trying to keep this PG. Yeah. Oh, 58 rolls of vodka sounds <laughs> enticing. <laughs> well, uh... I've always been curious uh, about how you got started in nonprofit work. 
Yeah, I was pre-med. Like a lot of Asians, I was. I thought I was going to be a doctor. And uh, your parents thought you're going to be a doctor. <laughs> my parents thought I was going to be a doctor, preferably like a doctor and a lawyer. You know, an together. engineer. Yeah, or an engineer. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So uh, I, but then I got to college, and I realized I don't. I don't want to do doctor thing. I think like we have enough Asians who go into the medical field, and I think it's very important, right? But I do feel like there's a lot of pressure for all of us to do things that we don't really want to do. And I wanted to do something that no one else is really doing. And that's social work. So I got my master's in social work. Yeah. <laughs> Just has an MSW too. So that's another thing we can connect to that because, you know, MSWs are really awesome people. Um, Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. We're so cool. And uh, that, anyway, I got my MSW and no one would hire me. Uh, because I had no experience, uh, no experience. And so I, I got a job at, uh, with AmeriCorps. It was an AmeriCorps program that sent me to an organization over here, and I worked there for a while, then became the executive director of that. So that was kind of my, my way into the nonprofit sector. From, from AmeriCorps Vista to executive director of the same organization? Yeah. That's awesome. That's impressive. It sounds impressive, <laughs> but we had a lot of challenges. It was it was an organization called back then the Vietnamese Friendship Association, and it had so many challenges with the board and with staff and with with its image that no one wanted to be the ED. I did not know this when I when I arrived, right? And I learned a lot of the dynamics of nonprofits don't really work or are very harmful to small organizations led mm -hmm. by serving marginalized communities. So, but because of all these complexities, no one wanted to be the ED of this organization. So I decided that, you know, if there's a, a, a chance to, to do something, and if this is what I am called to do, then I'll go ahead and do this, even though I was 26 at the time and had no idea uh, wow. what the executive director was supposed to be doing. And I made a <laughs> lot of mistakes the first few years. Sounds like they tricked you into doing it. They kind of did. <laughs> I got paid like $35,000 as an oh, ED. Oh, my goodness. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, you this like, was like 10 years ago. This is 13 years ago. <laughs> you know, 35000 was, was a little bit 10 years ago. <laughs> 20 years ago, it wasn't a lot. Right. <laughs> so it's it not was the rough. 70s, Vu. <laughs> <laughs> right. So it was, it was a little rough living in Seattle on $35,000. But... I was able to convince a lot of funders to invest in the organization and got it back on track, right? And during that time, I just realized so many things that we have been taught in my master's in social work program about nonprofits are harmful to the work, like the way that we think about fundraising, the way that we think about capacity mm -hmm. building, philanthropy, donor engagement, all of these things, we just need to rethink them all. You know, like I've been talking a lot about fundraising, for example. I just I feel like the way that we've been doing fundraising perpetuates a lot of the challenges that we're trying to address. Because mm -hmm. it's all about making donors who are mostly white feel good about themselves. And that mm -hmm. means that they're not gonna talk about like paying more taxes or about how their family's wealth may have come from slavery and colonization. Mm -hmm. So we make them feel good and they and when you feel good, you have you don't want to talk about things that make you feel bad. Right, so we keep reinforcing them that we keep giving our donors a cookie. We treat them like toddlers. Like, here's a cookie for donating, instead of like, hey, can we talk about why you should just pay more taxes? 
<laughs> so that's an example. And boards, I think boards are terrible. Thank you. Board systems are horrible. I think they are awful, and we just kind of, we kind of gave up, and we're like, this is the this is the model, right? I'm on two boards right now, and I just I just see how challenging it is. Like, why did we accept this model? It's all traditions. We have very few rules governing boards, how boards should operate. So everything else is just a tradition. Mm-hmm. The monthly meetings, the Roberts rules. All those things are traditions that we have passed down to one another. Ineffective traditions. Why do we have a bunch of volunteers? Um, volunteers are great. You know this, right? I love volunteers. I'm a volunteer. But having people who may not see the full picture of the organization, mm-hmm. who see one percent of its work, making vast strategic direction, will lead to a lot of just all of the terrible stuff that so many of us complain about at happy hour. <laughs> it's hard. It's hard to talk after Amen. you because we're just nodding. I'm nodding my head. I'm agreeing with everything you say. We we've talked about boards and not when we created our own board for Hi Ho. We looked up Robert's rules and we thought we had to do it, and it was frustrating. And we're like, "The heck are we doing? Can we just do this differently?" And everyone, everywhere we looked, we thought that that wasn't the case. We had to fall in line. It's. No, it's silly. Robert's, who came up with Robert's? I mean, obviously, Robert. 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 <laughs> but who made Robert the king of meetings? Probably Robert <laughs> and his white friends, probably. Right. And Robert his and, his white friend. Robert white friends. and his white friends. <laughs> he made the system so he could be the president. Basically, yeah. So no one could understand what was going on. I a while ago, I think in the beginning of this year, I wrote in an, an article about how we need to just imagine draw a new fish was what I, I called it, right? Yeah, it was super good. And thank you, Jess. You're my new favorite person. <laughs> You're my favorite person on this call for sure. Thank you. Um, oh, I think we're having a trouble with the connection now. <laughs> a personal connection, not not internet connection. Hey, can we get back to the fish metaphor I was talking about? They had, <laughs> anyway. They had an experiment where they had kids, groups of kids, draw uh, a fish. And they're like, here, draw a fish. And so one group was told to draw a fish. Another group was told to draw a fish, but they were given an example. Like, here's an example of a fish that uh-huh. someone else drew. But don't worry about that example. Just draw your own fish, whatever you want it to be. And guess what? The kids who saw the example, even though for it was for a split second, drew fish that were remarkably similar uh-huh. to the example. And that's what we have. Like everything is, is a fish archetype in our minds, the way the boards work, fundraising, all of it. And we cannot get rid of this archetype, this example in our, in our brains. And we need to. Our sector, in order to fulfill its full potential, has to be able to draw and imagine a new fish. And maybe it's not a fish. Maybe it's a platypus. Maybe it's a platypus pterodactyl hybrid. I don't know. Oh my gosh. It's so good, right? I know. God. It's like the blog is reading itself to me. <laughs> I need you on my call map to tell me bedtime stories. <laughs> These are like nightmarish stories. These are like Stephen King style, like the sector is doomed. No, the sector is not doomed. The sector is actually, honestly, we have a chance to remake the sector right now. Because if we can defund the police, if we can reduce funding from the police, and we really need to, because it is seriously dystopian, some of the city's budgets, like Baltimore, spends $509 million on the police budget. And they spend like 
40 million on housing and 1 million on civil rights or something like that. It's absolutely outrageous. Um, I was thinking about like the Hunger Games or other like dystopian young adults novel. I'm like, this is the budget for one of these novels, right? <laughs> Baltimore city budget. I'm not just yeah. picking on Baltimore because this is the same here in Seattle and LA and everywhere. The police is always oftentimes the biggest budget by mm-hmm. a long shot. Mm-hmm. And now there is a movement to say, you know what, that is not right. We need to actually invest in people mm-hmm. and invest in resources and services. What that means is that nonprofits who are providing these resources, oftentimes mm-hmm. it's us, it's the nonprofit sector who've been under-resourced for such a long time. And now we actually get some of that funding to provide, provide so many amazing resources and services for people. That means that we have a chance to get more funding, but I don't want us to get this wrong. I want us to use the funding in a way that's effective, right? But the way that we've been trained is to be so incremental in our thinking and to be so risk averse that we don't mm-hmm. want to do anything that would, that would make funders and donors mad and things like that, right? But we're always asking for permission. It's the same as with our boards. Like a lot of EDs, one ED was like, boo, I don't know how to get my boards to give my staff the uh, week off for Christmas, you know, Christmas and New Year. I'm like, why are you even asking permission of your board? What does this have to do with your board at all? You are the ED. You are the CEO. Mm-hmm. Make the executive decision. Inform your board. This is what they paid you to do. You mm-hmm. know? But instead, we're just out there asking for permission. So that has to stop. And we want to embrace the sort of like the new, the future of the nonprofit sector. We don't have time to think small anymore. No, so I don't want to assume, but if there was one, one thing that you could make happen right now, today, like tomorrow, it'll start what would that one thing be for nonprofit sector? I would really, I would half every police budget in this, in every single city and, and, and ensure that funding is going to housing and into education, into things that would help lift up people and prevent them from, you know, being in situations that <clears throat> the way they would fall into the prison industrial complex. Mm-hmm. Right. If we can actually do that, then we can start to abolish the prison industrial complex. So that'd be really good. So yes, in some ways, we will get more funding to do much of the work that we are supposed to be doing, you know, mental health counseling and all that stuff. But in many ways, if we can actually invest even more in like education and jobs and stuff, many of us nonprofits would also go away. And I think that's also mm-hmm. good. Yeah. Yeah, I used to describe nonprofit we used to talk to people about nonprofit mission and vision. And we used to tell people ultimately our organization, even though we're very volunteer centric, the ultimate goal would be, can we exist in a world with no volunteers are needed because all the essential needs are met. And that was such a crazy statement to say, and people kind of didn't get it at first. And they're like, no, volunteering is great. And I'm like, I get it, but we're filling gaps. You know, we're filling gaps that exist. And how do we close those gaps? Yeah, Absolutely. And we can shift volunteerism to things that, that, are, that are different. You know, I think that in a perfect world, we would not have many of, no, of our nonprofits like food pantries and homeless shelters, right? But I do think we would have really cool organizations, um, other cool organizations like arts mm-hmm. and culture. And volunteers can work with that. You know, you can still like read to kids and, and things like that because that's, those are things that we still need volunteers for because it'll be great because it's not about volunteering to fill the gaps. It's about volunteering to demonstrate 
the community's strength and connectedness. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. So many mic drops. <laughs> you can tell we're totally professional about this. You're leaving us speechless. This is that's the problem. I have I'm having trouble thinking of things to say. You are having trouble. Yeah, it's either that or I had a mini stroke like Trump. Okay. Well, either way. You have any questions, Jess? You have food live in person on camera, even. I have a bunch. I don't want to totally monopolize everything. No, go I for it. Monopolize really away. Like, <laughs> um, I really like what you've had to say about imagining and reimagining and all of that. And I just had a conversation um, earlier this week with somebody who's on a board. It's mostly white women. This person is not. Um, and she was super frustrated because they wanted to talk about Black Lives Matter. Um, but they thought that they were going to solve it in one training. And my friend was losing her mind in the meeting and texting me while it was happening. Um, and she was like, but how do we like, she's like, this board stuff needs to end. And I was like, yeah, exactly. Um, and so I'm kind of curious, like what, what does that look like if we, we dismantle nonprofit, yeah, defund <laughs> the boards or whatever you want to call it. I'll look forward to that blog post. Um, I was but... actually working on it. Yeah. <clears throat> Yay. Well, I think we we gotta we have to just fundamentally reimagine the role of the board. Um, I joined the board uh, the board of an organization called Creating the Future, and its role is to really think about what what sort of future do we want, and and how do we get there, and encourage other people to think about this this sort of catalytic thinking as uh, one of the leaders of that, of that group, Hildy Gottlieb, uh, says. And so the board model that we're, we're, we haven't figured out yet, mm -hmm. but something that we're thinking about exploring is like uh, something called a minimally viable board. And it's like a board that just does the bare legal minimum. So it's like the three people who meets once a year to file the taxes or whatever, right? But then that allows us to negotiate the role of, of a, a board of, 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 every, of the role of everyone else. So maybe there's a separate board, like a community board that's made up of the people who are actually providing, who are, who are staff, who are services, mm -hmm. uh, who are recipients, who are community members, anyone who basically shows up. So that board could actually be like 30 or 40 people or whoever can make it there. But because they're the ones that are most affected by the programs and the values and stuff, they're the ones who get to shape the decisions and hire the ED or whatever, mm -hmm. if there is an ED, that's not some, something that we need to talk about as well, right? So then it's kind of like a hybrid board of an advisory committee uh, type board versus like a legal board, but the legal board does very little. Mm -hmm. So that's something for us to, to, to think about, right? But all of these changes are connected. For example, the single executive director archetype should not exist anymore. I don't think it's working. This is why we're burning out so many people in the corporate sector we have the ceo the cfo the coo the cto mm -hmm. whatever and in the nonprofit sector we just combine all of those into one person and call it the ceo or the ed and then we expect this person to not burn out and the reality is they, they burn out after two or three years yeah. right so i think people are starting to shift more into co-leadership models where they're co-directors or much more flat 
versus the hierarchical structure that, that we've been having. I, I was in that in sort of a co-leadership hybrid model and it was amazing. Um, but we also had to talk about how do we make decisions? So the, the co-model worked because like we have specific decision areas and people can't really veto. If that's, your, if that's your area, people can't veto it. If you're the HR person and you decide that you're going to give everyone, you know, like an extra PTO day this year and you've done your research, whatever, that's your decision. And I see the ED can't veto you. You know, as long as you've done your due diligence and checked in with people and have mm-hmm. a good argument for it. Um, so, but we don't, we have a top down where the ED can veto everything. The board has significant power to veto the ED. Everyone is fearful. It is not a healthy model for any, for anyone. And it's not effective. Well, I've always been a big advocate of the, if your organization provides services, that someone receiving services should have a seat on the board as yeah. a, as the, the true representative of the organization's mission. I mean, in an ideal world, like most of the board members should be the recipients, right? Mm-hmm. But we don't do that. So we think it's unique when we have someone, you know, we have like one or two uh, people on the board who actually have been homeless or whatever. And we think that it, we're being so novel right. um, when the reality <laughs> is that structure is just not good. Mm-hmm. So we tend to gravitate towards board members who are wealthy or who are connected to wealth. And of course, they're going and who can... Yeah, navigate the sort of white structures that we set up like Robert's rules. And so of course we're not surprised when they're all mostly white, right? Mm-hmm. And for some of the most powerful organizations and foundations, they're going to be mostly white men. Yeah. With and generational wealth. With generational wealth. And so that model just, it cannot work and we just put up with it. And now I'm just, I'm saying it's the time for us to say, these things don't work anymore. Let's try something else. And maybe those things will fail too, but we don't know until we try. Yeah, it's an exciting time. I mean, with all the tremendous heartache and I mean, if social media is the way I connect to mainland news and the stories that I would never see in Hawaii, oftentimes it can be heartbreaking and it feels like things are hopeless, but Fu, you seem to think that this is an exciting time and You've really, I gotta, I've always been the glasses half empty. I gotta be more of the glasses half full like you. (laughs) (laughs) I, I don't know. I'm not so sure if it's either. Like, I feel like the optimists are the ones who just don't see the challenges. They're the ones who are like the colorblind people, you know, they're the ones who are like, I don't see color, you know? (laughs) Oh, wow. (laughs) And then, yeah, because I'm like, everything is great. I don't know why. And then they get angry at the people who point things out because that shakes up things and, um, and, and it it, it jostles their philosophies about the world and how good it is and so on. So no, I don't think it's good to be too optimistic either, but then there are the pessimists who are, who just cannot imagine a reality that is different. And I think they're the ones who are also very challenging also. It's like the people who could not imagine uh, the abolition of slavery or that women could finally get the chance to vote or marriage equality or whatever. Every, in every single era, we have pessimists who think that those things will never happen, not because they don't want it, but because they just have such a negative view of humanity that they think, well, even though I believe in it, I don't think all the other people out there will actually support it 
So it's hopeless. There's no point working on it. So I think somewhere between those two, or maybe a different axis, is where we should all be, which is that we can see the reality of the world, but we can still imagine and work towards a vision of a world as it should be. And I think that's kind of where I think all of us should be. So this might be a bad time to tell you that I just tricked both of you to help me through my personal struggles. And I just really needed the pep talk. This isn't going to go out to anyone. Where do I want to send the invoice. <laughs> I'm not cheap, Ryan. <laughs> oh, I know. I know. I, I do. I do want to respect your time, Vu. And I do want to get into one, the one structured question that Hi Ho tries to give to everyone is, what is your first experience with being a volunteer or with volunteerism in general? We love to hear a story. Yeah, I, uh, I mean, it's, I think my first real experience of volunteering was in, in college, in freshman year, when I volunteered for a, a group called uh, SAGE. And it was about engaging with seniors at a nursing home. So every Saturday, a shuttle would take us, you know, we just take the shuttle and it would, and there's a nursing home on the, on the route and we would, we would get off and we would spend a couple hours talking to seniors in the nursing home. And I think this was really profound for me because one, no one else wanted to volunteer with this group. Everyone wanted to read to kids because kids are adorable, mm-hmm. right? When you go into the nursing home, it is, it can be very disturbing I mean, for people who are not used to it, uh-huh. because you just see the neglect, you see the lack of resources, you see people who are just so happy to just to, to get any sort of human companionship. Um, and it was just heartbreaking. And it, it was like five or six of us every, every Saturday. And I would go there and I would make friends with people, but it was hard. And sometimes I really dreaded going because that residents would not want any of us to leave. Yeah. And it just made me think that we have so many things we have to fix. This is not fair. Like no one should have to endure this, you know, our, and our elders, they just get left behind. We just, we just throw away our older adults and that's not the kind of society I want to live in. So it really kind of helped me push me to think about, okay, what is the kind of society I want to live in? And all of us are going to get old, right? We, we have to think about this. So that has been a really profound experience. Um, and I remember one old woman, Mrs. M- uh, Mosby, who was really wonderful. She did not understand my veganism. She, <laughs> she was like, she's like this 98-year-old woman. And every single time I go there, I was like, hello, Miss, Mrs. Mosby. She's like, did you eat some meat? Are you going to get some hair on your chest? <laughs> Little did she know Asians don't grow hair on our chest. <laughs> right. <laughs> she right. She didn't she didn't know that. <laughs> so we had we had a great relationship. And uh you know, she was just wonderful. And she was this this woman who had lived through just so many things, the riots, the civil rights era. Um and I don't know, she would listen to the radio because she was blind and she would listen to the news. And she was just so sharp about everything. And, you know, and every single time, sometimes I, I would go there and just uh, just to try to cheer her up. But it, she was oftentimes the one who was cheering me up because I was also very depressed about everything. 
And she's just like, you know, I've lived through a whole bunch of stuff and things will get better because human beings are good, mostly good. Oh, Mrs. Mosby is yeah, dropping knowledge on all of us. I mean, that's basically at the end of the day, through everything that happens, we got to hold on to that to kind of take the steps towards tomorrow, right? That everything's going to be okay. Yeah, everything will be okay, but we have to work towards this vision. And that means sometimes we have to be out there protesting during the middle of a, a pandemic, or we got to shake the boats uh, a bit. <laughs> and that means we got to think about what we're willing to risk. Um, and sometimes we're going to get into trouble. If we're going to push to do things and, and to get people to see the, the better sides of themselves. But I, I do think it's worth it in the end. Fantastic. <laughs> well, thank you all for all that you're doing. I, I really appreciate Hayo. Um, it was just so great to meet you all. I think it was five years ago that we met. Uh, you took me to a raw vegan restaurant. Yes. You know, yeah. that's our mistake. We heard vegan. <laughs> we assumed raw would be fine. And then it turned out we all didn't enjoy our meal. What are you talking about? We had a great time. Oh, we, oh the company was fantastic. Conversation <laughs> was great. But at some point, I think we all disclosed to each other that we're not exactly enjoying this food right now. You and you said, oh, you I'm didn't vegan. like the escargot? Oh. <laughs> the vegan raw escargot. Yeah, <laughs> of mushrooms, marinated in garlic, vegan garlic butter and parsley. I think, you made, I think you made it a point to say, I'm vegan. I'm like, oh, we're so sorry. Raw <laughs> is a different element. The point is, Ryan, I appreciate you all <laughs> for <laughs> all that you're doing. <laughs> um, just engaging with volunteering and just like you know it, it changed my outlook on life I, I know that a lot of volunteers who work with you um, I think that our sector does not value volunteers enough we send handwritten thank you notes to people who donate $20 we don't do that enough for volunteers who donate the one finite thing that none of us can ever make more of in our life ever mm. and we don't value it as much as money but it's really important so thank you for all that you do. Um, wow, thank, thank you, Vu. Um, for years, I equated volunteer engagement with philanthropy and how it was so not, it's not fair towards a volunteer. The way we engage board members and the way we engage donors, it should be similar to the way we engage volunteers. And it's fallen on deaf ears and people think it's a crazy thing to say that we need to increase volunteer budgets we need to increase the money spent on volunteers because the real groundwork and the work that's affecting the community is happening through volunteerism and we say it all the time i say it all the time that the volunteers are the lifeblood of organizations but truly they are and you know without high hole we would have never reached out to you on a whim say hey we read this blog would it be crazy if we invite him to our conference <laughs> yeah whatever we'll just email him we'll see if he responds and but lo and behold, you came out and that's how we met. And wow, I, I feel like, I feel like my life and not to, I don't want to put you on a pedestal, but really the, the first time we thought we meet friends who are, have similar viewpoints, like Jess and I, we have very similar viewpoints. We've never met someone like you who, who had all the viewpoints and more that we almost never disagree with anything you say. You found a way for people to listen through your blog or through speaking engagements. 
And the representation that you talk about, you represent that for people like us who think that we're facing that this giant hill we're marching up. But you're paving the way for us to have more of a voice, to have to say, like, it's not just me. There's also some dude in Seattle saying it. But it's really been inspiring to know you and to read your words and to share so many sentiments and know that we're fighting the good fight. We are. And we got to keep it up. I think it's making a difference. I think people are starting to pay attention and we have a real opportunity to push for many of the things that would make society more equitable. And honestly, many of those things may put some of our the nonprofits out of business and I think that's okay too. Mm-hmm. It might put philanthropy out of business and that's good too. Mm-hmm. So let's just imagine a beautiful world where many of us don't have to do some of this work and we can focus on what we, what we can do otherwise. Like, I don't know, uh, emceeing a wedding, emceeing weddings. Yeah. Making podcasts. Yeah, making podcasts. Making <laughs> podcasts that dozens of people might listen to. Beatboxing. <laughs> you know, uh, years ago, I don't know if you remember, because you might, you might bestow this label to many people without me knowing, but you once referred to me and, and said that I was also a unicorn. And that was such Aww. a touching thing, and I never forgot that. Um, but Jess is definitely not a unicorn, correct? Um, Jess is definitely a unicorn. She is <laughs> unicorn first class now. Yeah. So, yeah. Thank you. I can share you, Vu. It's okay. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not that. But no, That's I want to. What you get for inviting me, Ryan? <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to share share this opportunity. But also because Jess is like really smart. So I wanted to make sure she lifted my stock. <laughs> so that's a, the call of a true leader. Surround yourself with smart people. But definitely thank you for your time, Vu. Appreciate yeah. this call. Next time you're in Hawaii, you know we have so many more raw places to take you to. So many. <laughs> <laughs> or we can get you some big item beef and put some hair in your chest. <laughs> I would do it for Mrs. Mosby. I owe her that much. <laughs> well yeah thank you for coming out coming out thank you for joining our call today and thanks uh, Ryan thanks thank Jessica. you of thanks, course Char. it was thank awesome thank you and cut <laughs> yay man I think I'm gonna charge five dollars a download for that we'll probably make so $10. you can make ten dollars <laughs> <laughs>